Good morning. I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning at Grace Point Church, especially if you're not used to being in our uh, space. I really want to extend a special thank you to you for taking some time to be with us this morning. Um, I'm coming off of a couple weeks of taking some time away and refreshing and rejuvenating. It was good for me. I want to thank uh, Pastor Greg for covering for me for those weeks. That was great. I don't think anyone, including myself, could have anticipated what I would come back to in the world that we now find ourselves in. The world that you're in, the world that I'm in, where schools are closed, businesses, many of them are being uh, shut down or very limited in their ability to continue to produce and meet. You're feeling the pinch, and I am too. Worried about income, worried about what to do with our kids, and just really unsure of what the future holds. This morning I want to address that kind of straight on, and I don't want to kind of sugarcoat around the pain that exists right now. I don't want to spiritualize the, um, the moment we're in and, and quickly move through the, the hurt and pain, anxiety, uh, and insecurities that this kind of stirs up and creates in all of us. Um, but I also don't want to stand around with no hope, especially not right now, most definitively not right now. What I want to do this morning as we share some time together is to, to actually take you to, believe it or not, a, a poem, a poem that I have found incredibly helpful during this time. Now, if you're like me and don't really prefer poetry, I get that. But I guess I'll tell you this, if you survived this week, I'm pretty sure you can survive a little poem. The poem this morning is actually one that was written hundreds of years ago, a long, long long time ago by someone whose name is Asaph. Asaph was actually a, a leader in the nation of Israel. King David was ruling at the time, and King David appointed Asaph to be essentially a religious leader during this time. Asaph became known as David's kind of private prophet. He was his right-hand man he was the guy who was charged with leading Israel in much of their worship, much of their worship gatherings. And so if there's anyone who would have a pulse on the nation of Israel's worship and how they relate to God, it's Asaph. Asaph gave us a gift because he and the nation of Israel were going through some kind of unprecedented time themselves. They were going through a time of distress and crisis as a nation. They were going through a time where Asaph struggled to find words to put to the feelings that were stirring inside of him. And he gave us a gift in that one night when he couldn't sleep, he wrote down his feelings. He wrote down his thoughts. He wrote down his fears. And he wrote down how he was going to keep going when all of his life was disrupted. And it's that night that I want to go back to with you this morning. It's that night when he wrote down this poem, when he in poetic form put down and put to words the things that were stirring in his soul and in his heart. That's where I want to go this morning as we try to get a handle ourselves on how do we handle the world when our life and our world has been disrupted. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible there at home with you, to go ahead and open it up to the book of Psalms. And we're going to be right in the middle, Psalm 77 is where I want to invite you to turn this morning. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's no problem. I'm going to be reading the, the poem, Psalm 77, this morning to you, so no worries if you don't have one with you. You can also uh, download um, the Bi a Bible app called YouVersion Bible. We'd recommend that if you don't have one. 
could be a good way for you to connect. So go ahead and open your app or your Bible or just listen along as we jump into Psalm 77, a poem for a time of serious, serious disruption. Here's how Asaph begins. He says this, I, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. And at night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. He says, verse 3, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I want to pause it here for a minute and, and enter the chamber where Asaph is writing. I want you to go there with me. Look at what he's saying. I want you to enter this moment of how he's feeling. And imagine a grown man, someone of the caliber of Asaph, a religious leader overseeing so much of the nation of Israel, beginning by saying, I'm, I'm crying out. I mean, I'm, I'm at the end of it. I'm crying out to you. I don't know if you know many men these days who would just admit I've gotten to a point where I'm, I'm crying out for help. Like I, I am at the end of my strength, my wisdom, my know-how, and I have come to this point where I am crying out to God. That's where Asaph is. Verse 2, he says there again, he says, when I was in distress, he's in this space where there are no answers for where he is. He doesn't know how to go forward. He's feeling this angst, this uncertainty, this anxiety in his heart and in his soul. And he sought the Lord. He said, at night I stretched out untiring hands and he found no comfort. And I wouldn't be comforted. Have you felt that way this week? Reaching for something that you can't get, hoping for comfort, hoping for good news, hoping the next news cycle brings something better than it actually does. And Asaph says in verse 3, I remembered you, God, and I, and I groaned. What an irony that Asaph, the religious leader, would remember God. And as he remembers God, he groans. He doesn't praise, he doesn't worship, he isn't relieved of his stress. It actually creates more for him. He, he groans almost as if he doesn't have words for the distance he feels between himself and God. He's groaning in his spirit. He said, I meditated, and the meditation didn't lead to great rejuvenation. The meditation didn't lead to a new vision. The meditation didn't lead to healing. The meditation led to his spirit growing faint. And when I stopped to think about God, things got worse. You kept my eyes from closing. He wasn't able to go to sleep. Have you struggled sleeping this week? He said, I was too troubled to speak. As we begin looking at this poem of Asaph, what a gift it is for us because he is raw. He is honest. He is engaged in what is going on inside of him. And here's what I've learned and am learning about feelings, about emotions, about the way that things work inside of me and maybe inside of you too. And that is this, that feelings are hard because they reveal life as it is, not as it should be. Feelings are hard because they reveal life as it actually is in this moment, not as it should be. Here's what I mean by that. This week, I have felt a variety of fears, and my fears, if I'm honest with you, can feel um, very uh, embarrassing to talk about. 
you know, the beginning of the week, I saw people posting pictures of empty store shelves. And I felt a, a quick run of my heart of anxiety and fear. Then I stopped and thought, are you serious, Tim? Like, you're afraid of empty store shelves? And the answer was, yeah. Yeah, I, I am. I feel that fear and anxiety. You know, I feel the fear of, of loss of income for a side business that we run. You know, we're experiencing that right now. That causes fear for me. You know, I, I'm thinking about the future of the church's finances and where we are and where we're going, and, and I feel that anxiety around what does the future hold. And fear, feelings, reveal life as it is, not as it should be. Before I filter what I'm feeling, it reveals to me where I currently sit and where life currently is, and this is why it is hard to embrace and engage emotion. Many of us, myself included, want to filter my emotion before I even feel it. I want to run right by it. I want to say, yeah, I have fear, but God's in control. I have anxiety, but don't worry, God is good. I have sleepless nights, but don't worry, God will come through. And I blunt the emotion and don't learn something about who I am and who God is. You know, Dan Allender, uh, in his book, The Healing Path, said this about feelings. He said, feelings expose the illusion that life is safe, good, and predictable. And they really do, don't they? Feelings expose this illusion that life is safe, good, and predictable. And isn't this what has been exposed this week? Is it safe? Is it predictable out there? Is it even good out there? And the feelings that we have around us, the pain, the anger, the injustice, it reveals that life is actually this way. And frankly, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. I would rather hear good news. I want to get to redemption. I want to get to hope. I want to get to when will this end? But until I stop and engage and don't run from the emotion of my heart and my soul, I will never understand who I am and who God is in this space. And so Asaph gives us a gift. <clears throat> he starts by just writing down with raw and unfiltered emotion. He is remembering God and it isn't helping. He is in distress. He has no words. He can't sleep. He is crying out. He is worn out. And he is not sure what to do. And what he does, what he does is he begins remembering. After he lays out his emotions, he begins thinking about a time in his past. And here's the, the thing with memory. The problem with memory, when you begin remembering, the problem with memory is that we remember everything, both good and bad. As soon as you begin to play the game tape back in your life or in mine, we get all kinds of memories, both good memories and bad memories. You just can't distinguish them. Some people say that we have selective memories, only remembering certain things. And while that may be partially true, what we all know is that when we actually stop to remember our past, we remember times not only when God has been good, but also times when God has been absent. We remember not only times when relationships have provided joy, but we also remember times when we have been betrayed and hurt in relationships. We remember times of good in our business and times of great hurt and struggle. We remember everything, both good and bad. And here is what Asaph remembers as well. Look at verse 5 with me. He goes to his memory and his recall. He says, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, and I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? 
Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Listen to the feeling and the pain, the hurt of the memory that Asaph is encountering. So he's looking at this time and he's saying, God, are you rejecting me forever? Are you ever going to show your favor again? Your love has vanished. It's gone. And didn't you make promises? And they seem to be missing right now. Have you forgotten, God, that you should be actually a merciful and loving God? Did you forget that part of you? And maybe, maybe you're angry with us. and Maybe that's why you're withholding your compassion. See, when we remember, we remember both the good and the bad. And Asaph right now is remembering the bad. And that is why, that is why memory can often be associated with suffering, believe it or not. When we remember, we kind of re-suffer or re-hurt again in the times where God has not come through. And you have those stories, and so do I. The times when you prayed and you wished God would come through, and he didn't heal your loved one. He didn't save the relationship. He didn't save your marriage. He didn't save the job for you. He seemed absent and cold for years on end. And you have wondered, God, have you, have you forgotten your character? Like, are you even here, and is this even worth believing? Because your memory brings back both good and bad about your past and about your relationships, both with people and with God himself. And so it's almost like Asaph now comes to the turning point where he's rolled out his emotions, he's said his peace, and he's recalled the times where God has not been absent, and he's hearing that storyline. And verse 10, he says, as a transition, he's like, well, then, okay, then, now that I'm done laying this out, then I thought, to this I will appeal. To this I will appeal. Here's where I'm going to go. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Here's where I'm going to go. Here's what I'm going to kind of do. I want you to think about memory this way for a minute. Memory is so important. Memory is actually like a a life map. Imagine driving home from work and the commute you would take if if your business was open. And if you're like me, sometimes I get in my car and I drive home and I, I remember that I left work and that I got home, but I don't recall with detail when I turned left or when I turned right because memory has mapped out my path for me and I just know by recall where I'm going. I want you to imagine for a minute if you were driving somewhere and your memory is guiding your direction, but then there's a, a detour and you have to go somewhere where you actually don't know the road. It's a brand new road and you don't have cell service or GPS signal, and you can't just Google map it or you know, run it out on your GPS, and you find yourself going down a road that you don't know where it leads, but it's your only choice. Now, all of a sudden, there's anxiety and stress about where will this place lead because you have no memory to help guide you. So memory, memory serves as like a life map to orient and anchor us. But when you have no memory of how do I function in this new space, how do I go forward on this road, on that road you are going to have to find something familiar. Whether it's the sun, whether it's a landmark, whatever it might be, you're going to have to find something to begin guiding you down 
that road. And this is where Asaph is. He's lost, he's not sure, and he says, okay, I'm on a new road and a new space, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to remember the years when the Lord Most High stretched out his right hand. And look what he says next in verses 11 and 12. In fact, I want to put them on the screen here for you so you can see. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Now, one of the, the um, characteristics of Hebrew poetry is its parallelism, parallelism of thought. It's not just that it rhymes at the end of each uh, phrase, it's that it's parallel thinking. So I wanted to highlight that for you and I want you to see how parallel this is and what he actually focuses on. It's very helpful for me. He says this, again, look, I will remember, I will remember, I will consider, and I will meditate. I will remember, remember, consider, meditate. Synonyms. He's like, I'm going to stop. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to ponder this. I'm going to process it. This is the stuff that I'm going to remember. I'm going to consider. I'm going to kind of analyze. I'm going to meditate on it. And what is he going to meditate on? What is he going to think about? He says it very clearly. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to remember the deeds. I'm going to think about your miracles. I'm going to think about your works and your mighty deeds. In other words, like he's not just focused on belief, but on evidence. I'm remembering not just the words that you have said, but the things that you have done. I'm not just remembering that at one time you told me that you would be a good God. I'm not just remembering that you've explained to us that you're loving. I'm not even just remembering your promises that will someday come true. I'm stopping to look at the deeds that you have done. I'm looking at the evidence in order to remember something about where to go on this new road. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples in John chapter 14. He's he's around the disciples and he makes this statement. It's a great statement. He says, believe me. He's like, believe me. I want you to believe me. Just believe me. When I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me. And it's almost like you can imagine being around that room in the space with the disciples, and Jesus can kind of see through you, and he, he recognizes, I think, that there is a lack of jumping on that train. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to believe that, right? Like, it's a big belief. Believe me that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me. I don't even know what that means, Jesus, but you want me just to believe it? I think Jesus knew that it was hard for people just to believe what is said, because anybody can say anything. And so then he says this, or at least, or at least, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Like if this is too much for you to try to believe what God has said or what Jesus says, if it's too hard to believe that he is loving when he seems unloving, that he's close when right now he seems distant, if it's too hard to believe that God hears your prayers when right now nothing seems to be changing, when it's too hard to believe that God's promises are true when it doesn't seem like he's even listening to what's going on in our chaotic world, if that's too hard, here's another option. Consider, meditate, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. For Asaph, there was one primary work or deed that happened in the Old Testament that became his primary anchor point on this new road that he was on. And for him, there was the exodus of the nation of Israel when they left Egypt. 
and how God provided a way for them where there seemed to be essentially no way. And here's how he describes it in verse 13. He says, Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. He's talking about the Exodus. He describes it in great detail in verses 16 to 18. The waters saw you, God. Just so you make sure you know the story. He's talking about when the the nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt, and they were led right up to the, to the waters. And the Egyptian army was coming in to close behind them, and in the Old Testament, the story is told that God divided the waters and allowed them to walk through and redeem them and save them from the nation of Egypt. And here's how he describes that moment. He said, the waters saw you, God, and the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water and the heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind and your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Do you feel the the space there? This is chaos. This This is a war. This is a battle. This is, I mean, this is power. This is violence. This is fear if you're in that space that the waters are writhing, the very depths convulse, the clouds pouring down water, thunder, lightning, earth trembling and quaking, and here are the people of God standing in the middle of this storm. In verse 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. What Asaph is saying is, God, you let us through the storm, not around it. You led us through the storm in spite of the storm. You were there. You didn't lead us on the back end of the storm when it passed as if the storm was too much for you to handle. You were there in the chaos, in the power, in the violence of it all, in the injustice and pain and hurt of it all. You were right there. Even though, even though your footsteps were not seen, you were there. And then Asaph goes on, and he says, You led your people like a flock. You were like a shepherd, a great shepherd, who took care of his people, even though it was chaos all around them. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you know a God like that, a God who is indeed gracious and kind and a good shepherd or not. But this God that I'm speaking about is the God who is a God who is close to you and kind. The God who connects with you as a good shepherd. Now, I don't know what you think about God like that, but this God is how it is described right here from Asaph, that he is a God who is a shepherd. And then he says this, you led your people like a flock, And I love the ending. The ending isn't just a tag on. The ending is so profound to me. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. You might be a Moses and Aaron to the people around you right now. You might be a Moses and Aaron to your children right now. You might be a Moses and Aaron to your family, 
Maybe you're Moses and Aaron to your business, to your community, to your friends right now. See, God uses people, leaders, to show the kind of shepherding care through chaos that we need. And that may be your role right now, in the middle of the storm, to lead people, to serve them, to see this God who leads through a time like this. I want to encourage you this morning with three things. Three things. First of all, I want to encourage you toward emotional health right now. As I look at Psalm 77 and what Asaph wrote that night when he was in his chamber and couldn't sleep and was distressed and worn out and tried to meet with God but couldn't find him, the first thing he did in the first several verses we see is he just poured out with raw and unfiltered emotion, this is what I feel right now. This is the world as it is. I am angry. I am distressed. I am afraid of what could be. And if you're anything like me, talking about your emotions will create immediately a feeling of embarrassment or shame, depending on how far you go. And it is easier, it's easier not to talk about them because we know that we should be better than our fear. We know that we should be bigger than the anxiety that we have, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've heard about a God who is good and all-powerful, that if you talk about the fact that right now you don't feel that, what kind of Christian are you for real? And doesn't it feel that way sometimes? So I want to encourage you right now to be emotionally healthy in your faith, to acknowledge and admit life as it is, not as it should be. Please don't run from those emotions. Don't filter them first. Own them. Talk about them. Engage them. And then what Asaph did next, I want to encourage you to do next too. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to remember. I want to encourage you to remember, and I want you to know that memory brings up both good and bad. Memory is going to introduce to you a, uh, a storyline that's going to have both tragedy and redemption in it. And if you're like our family at all, we've watched a, uh, we, last night we watched a movie, and I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of movie time over the next you know, little bit here. And in every movie, in every storyline, there is a, a plot that unfolds, there is a tragedy, an evil, a wrong to, to deal with, and redemption and hope and restoration to come, just the way it is. It's the same way it is in your life and in mine. It's a story that needs to be told, and tragedy and redemption are in both places. And so every time you remember a period of time in your history, you're going to have a mixture of tragedy and redemption, where God was not present, where it wasn't healed, the relationship wasn't saved, the business didn't work out, you had to move, things were put on you, and it didn't work. You will have tragedy. But you will also have stories of redemption, and if you will remember both, You'll begin to see that it's in the middle of the storm. It's in the middle of the violence of redemption and tragedy together that God creates a path forward even though you can't see his feet. And I want to encourage you to remember, not just on the basis of what God has said, but on the basis of the evidence of the works themselves. In the Old Testament, that was the Exodus story. In the New Testament, it's the cross. It's the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's where my faith is anchored to. When I get turned onto a new road, and we're on this new road right now, by the way, when I get turned onto a new road and I have no memory of how to go forward, the times we're in are really honestly unparalleled in our lifetime. 
We don't know how to proceed. We don't know when it will be over. We have no memory to serve us, to help us see what is the map ahead. And so what do we do? How do we engage that? We have to find an anchor point. We have to find an anchor point. We have to find something that we can believe in. And what you're going to have right now is not a map for the future, but you're going to have the whisper in your ear of a God who redeems even in the middle of a map that is incomplete. And he will go with you in the middle of the chaos, even though you can't see his footsteps. I want to encourage you to remember the works of God, not even just the promises, but the works and deeds of God. And finally, I want to encourage you this. I want to encourage you to ask a question. I want to encourage you to ask a question. And I want to encourage you to ask this question. What does God want me to become not just what should I do now. These are two different questions. The first question, what does God want me to become, is the question of looking at this period of life that you and I are in right now and asking God, what, how do you want to change and shape me right now? I mean, good grief. What a blank slate we have in the middle of the pain and hurt and struggle of it all. To find faith. To be honest with our struggles to renew a habit, to start something brand new, to, to realize that you know, we've, maybe we have walked away from faith. Maybe we have walked away from a relationship that should be restored. Maybe we have given up that God is even here. I mean, what a time right now to stop and say, what, is, what does God want me to become right now? Maybe there's been a part of you that you know, I need to be a better leader in the home. I need to be a better leader in my business. I need to be kinder to my parents. I need to be more faithful with my spouse. I need to be more considerate. I need to whatever. What does God want you to become? What are the things in your heart that you stop and slow down and come to and you feel like, ooh, in these moments, I could really grow here if I were honest. I don't want you just to ask, what should I do now? I mean, we do need to ask that to a degree. How do we handle life? But that's not the only question to ask right now. What do you need to become? And what is God leading you to become during this time right now? What does he want from you from the inside out? Life has been, life has been, no doubt, no question, disrupted. Incredibly disrupted. And I am so sorry for the pain and the hurt that it has caused you and the people around you. And I wish I could reach right through the screen right now and, and just engage you and offer comfort and hope. But I want to encourage you, this is what God has already done. He is the good shepherd who leads people through the storm, even though it's hard to see his footsteps sometimes. And so as you engage this week with the people around you, be honest with your emotions. Emotionally healthy people are spiritually mature people. Remember the works of God and ask the question, what does God want me to become? not just what should I do, and see where God will take you. I look forward to joining you next week in part two of Disrupted, how to continue going on when our world stops around us. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we could share this morning, even virtually. I do pray for our folks who are listening, for our um, families, our jobs, our futures, the concerns, the fears, and anxieties that we have. And I thank you for men like Asaph, who have given us a great gift that we can stop and reorient 
around someone who has led us through this space and has been very raw and open and honest about it, and doesn't sugarcoat it and doesn't spiritualize it. And so I pray that you would help us to do the same, to be honest with the emotions that we feel, to not run and filter them, to be able to remember something about our God, the work, if nothing else, the work of Jesus on the cross, to keep ourselves anchored, and then to consider, God, what do you want us to become? What do you want me to become during this time? So, Father, we thank you for these words and the time that we can share this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.